host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Good morning, everybody. This is Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast today who's going to share his story and what he does. It's just going to be amazing, everybody. So pay attention. So William, what I like my guests to do is introduce themselves and then let them know, let the people know, the audience know, like who you are, what you do, and and we're going to rock and roll from there. Right on. So my name is William Branham. I am a retired Navy SEAL. I spent 26 years in the SEAL teams. Actually, I spent 23 of my 26 years of service in the SEAL teams. It took me a little while to, to get to SEAL training. I made some tactical errors along the way that almost prevented me from getting there. But I grew up in a little town outside of Meridian, Mississippi. So there's not a whole lot going on there. Joined the Navy right out of high school because I wanted to become a Navy SEAL and no other service had the, the SEAL team. So I had to join the Navy. It was not my first choice, but it is uh, the path that I had to take to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And uh, since retirement, I have, I've started a couple of companies. I have a consulting company, now have a CBD company, and I'm starting a coaching company also. So I'm even though I'm retired, like we talked about earlier, air quotes, right. I am far from re- done. I got lots <laughs> to do, lots to give, and, and a lot of work still left in the tank over here. That's awesome. So what I want to do is ask you uh, and let you kind of know. So I, I want the audience, you go as deep as you want, but like share. Okay. I want you to share part of your military story first, right? Like what were some of the challenges you know, becoming a Navy SEAL, like you can't just go into the Navy. I know I was a Navy. I'm just going to, Hey, I'm going to be a SEAL, right? It doesn't work that way. You got to have a certain mindset and you got to, like you said, overcome challenges. So give the audience an idea of what it was like when you joined and then started BUDS training and, and some of the challenges you just had in the, in the Navy when you were, as you were, you know, moving through your career. Sure. So, you know, once upon a time, there was no such thing as the internet. And when I was a kid, that was when I was an adult even. So there wasn't a lot known about the SEAL teams. There were maybe a few books from some guys that were in Vietnam. There was a movie that just came out called Navy SEALs. And this was, you know, early, like early 90s, maybe something like that. I don't even remember if that movie was out when I joined the Navy. I watched it prior to me going to SEAL training, but no one even knew really what a, a Navy SEAL was. I knew that they were, someone told me, that they were the, it was the hardest military training in the world. So I was like, that's what I want to do. I was not a good student in school, but I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be part of a small military elite unit. 
I was thinking maybe the Marine Corps Force Recon sniper unit, maybe Army Ranger. And then someone told me about Navy SEALs and I liked the water. I liked the water. I'm not a fan of it uh, that much anymore. <laughs> Spending a lot of time in it. And, uh, and so the Navy recruiter called me after someone told me about what a, a, a Navy SEAL was. And I was like, he's like, hey, have you ever thought about joining the Navy? Had he called me, you know, six weeks earlier, I would have said not on your life. But uh, I was like, yeah, I want to be a Navy SEAL and I want to be an F-14 Tomcat pilot. I didn't get the F-14 Tomcat thing, but uh, mm -hmm. I did become a SEAL. Um, and, uh, and so I, I joined the Navy. I went to boot camp. I took the SEAL screening test and I failed it. And when I say I failed it, I didn't really fail it. I probably could have passed it had I pushed myself. But I was just, you know, I did the swim. I did fine. And then you roll right into doing push-ups. And I probably stopped at like number 38 or something. You only had to do like 52 was like the minimum number. Right. But I look at the numbers now and I'm like, really, that's the standard. That's so low. That's just, that's easy. How did I fail it? So I failed, I failed it the first time I took it, which sort of set the dominoes in, into, in motion because then I was a little like, then I like, I got stronger, you know, in boot camp. And then I went on to my, my A school. An A school is like your technical school. So in the Navy, you have to have a technical, you have to have a technical job in order to advance. You can't just be a Navy SEAL. You can now, but back right. then you had to be a, right. a, a something, a something in the Navy that supported the Navy. And so I chose to become a gunner's mate because I thought it had something to do with guns. It really doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> guns. Maybe there's big gun systems on Navy ships. Right. Uh, so I went to Gunner's Mate A School. And what you learn there is you learn about electronics, hydraulics, and pneumatics. That made my dad happy because he thought electronics were going to be the future. And he was right. So I went to school. It was up in the, Wash in the Chicago area in the winter. And I did not want to get up early in the morning to go retake the, the steel screening test at, when it's dark and it's cold and there's just ice everywhere. I didn't want to do that. I was, I was lazy. That was a mistake. Number one, I didn't prepare myself before going to boot camp for that test. And number two, I was lazy leading up to taking the, the screening test again. So I took another school. I was high enough in the class to take another school for four more months. And I thought I'll go to that school in Virginia Beach. I will get in better shape. I'll take the screening test and then I'll go, I'll go to Bud's. What I didn't know is that because I took that school for four more months, I had 24 months of obligated service to, to a ship in Yokosuka, Japan. And I was like, well, what if I, what if I fail out of this school? Can I go? They're like, nope, you still will go to that ship in Yokosuka, Japan. Right. I wasn't a quitter. So that was not an option really for me. So I went to the ship in Japan. And then when it came time for me to, you know, talk to my detailer, the guy that tells you where you're going to go next. He said, that's great that you want to become a SEAL, but I'm not going to let you go because you're too critical to the Navy. That school that you went to that put you on the ship, that job, we only have a handful of those technicians. So right. you're one of those people and you're, so that's the criticality. Like we're not, I'm not going to let you go. I don't care what you say or do, you will not go. So then the many, many months later, I'm still working. I, you know, I did, all, I passed the screening test eventually. I did all the medical stuff. I did all the paperwork. Everything was good to go. I just needed someone to say, you can go now. Then the chief of Naval operations came to my ship in Yokosuka, Japan. He didn't go to any other ship. He only came to my ship. Right. And someone told me like, Hey, he's a, he's a common sense leader. He, he just makes changes on the spot. Uh, why don't you ask him if, if he'll let you go to buds? And I was like, okay. So he had CNO's call chief of, you know, and for those who don't know who the CNO is chief of Naval operations, he's the most senior guy in the Navy. Yep. The only people that are more senior to him is the secretary of defense and the president of the United States. Yep. So 
I pretty much went to the top when I when I asked the question. So he came to the ship. He gave out his his vision of the Navy, what we're going to do. And then he asked if anyone had any questions. And I raised my hand. Oh, right over here. So he called on me and I said, I joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. I think I deserve a chance to go. My detailer won't let me because he says I'm too critical. I think I deserve a chance. He turns to my commanding officer and he says, is he a good guy? And my CO says, yeah, he was a sailor of the quarter this quarter, which is like employee of the month. Right. I didn't get my own parking space or anything like that, but <laughs> whatever, because I lived I lived on the ship. He turns back to me and he says, check, you'll be in the first class after your PRD, which is planned rotational date. Six weeks later, I'm off to California to SEAL training. And so SEAL training buds is six months long. And it took me a short 13 months to get through that block of training. Explain that. Because if it's six months, right? Tell the audience, like, like some of them are not going to understand. I, I do because right. I was I was on the USS Peleliu, right? And I, I had the privilege of hanging out with SEAL Team 5 when we fully load our ship, right? We had Navy or right. Recon, them. And, you know, I would work out with them, try to keep up. But it was kind of insane. Sure. Like, you know, I asked him, hey, how many push-ups are we going to do? And the guy would look at me next to me, my friend. All of them. Go, yeah, he'd go, when we're done. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Check. You know, yeah. because my dream when I was in there and I took that test you're talking about, I passed it. But what happened is I hurt my ankle like you. Because when 1986, when I joined, right? Top Gun just came out. And that, I don't know if you remember the commercial, but it was says, this is the Navy. It's not just a job and it's adventure. And they would show all this I do stuff. remember that. Remember yeah. that? And so I was yep. so excited. I went to a school in uh, Treasure Island up by San Francisco. They, our, our nickname was Tur Chaser. I was a hull technician, right? So, yep. but anyway- yep. Tell the audience, right? Like, I want you to tell them, like, buds, they understand, but they don't understand, right? Until they break right. through it. So explain why a six-month worth of training took you 13 months to pass it. That's some challenges well, like, right there. Like, like I said in the beginning is, you know, I didn't really prepare myself to go to buds. I didn't physically prepare. I was, I think I was mentally prepared for sure, but I wasn't physically prepared. And so I showed up on a Friday I checked in with another guy who had been there before, went about halfway through hell week, broke his leg, and then he had to leave. And he was a, he was a corpsman. So we went to the, you know, work with the, with the Marine Corps for the next two years. And then he, he came back and he was like, all right. So we, he kind of guided me around and showed me where to go. And so he was my roommate. So we checked into the, we checked in and then we went and got our room and he was like, you want to go for a run on a beach run? I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. That was terrible. That was miserable. <laughs> like if you've never run in soft sand, right. you're it's it's a completely different experience. And um, so that was my first like, oh my god, this is going to be hard. This is difficult. So I'm there. Let, let's do it. I know it's supposed to be hard. How hard can it be? It's pretty hard. So we started. I started in class two zero five, and then y there's lots of shenanigans that go on. You know, the instructors make you do all sorts of weird stuff and roll around in the sand and go get you know jump in the ocean and come back and roll around and run over these sand sand dunes and and things like that on the beach. And there was one time I was rolling, you know, trying to get you know get the sand all over my body, and someone stepped on my leg, Ooh. broke my leg. And it was just a stress fracture that they couldn't see, but it certainly immobilized me. I thought I had compartment syndrome and all sorts of other stuff. So that rolled me back to the next class. Wow. I started the next class. I started, you know, I'm going through it. I'm about three and a half weeks in and I'm finally, I'm keeping up on runs. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting faster. I'm, I'm getting stronger mentally. And 
I finally keep up on a run and then they have the goon squad over here. Goon squad is where you don't keep up on a run on a conditioning run and they give you some extra training to make you stronger or to make you quit. One of the two. And I'm like, dude, I made it. I <laughs> am a fast runner now. I can keep up. I'm getting like, I'm just, pr I'm proud of myself. And, and so we're overstretching, waiting for the rest of the class to finish, you know, the rain, reindeer games that are going on. And then I go to, then they're like, okay, hit the surf. And so I stand up and then my leg left knee doesn't work. Like I just kind of fall over. I'm like, what, what is that? What happened? And I hobble out to the surf zone and I come back and the next morning I go to medical and I'm like, you're probably fine. There's nothing wrong with you, but we're going to, we're going to recommend you be rolled. And so I went to the, the medical, the med board. And the first person said, well, you've already been rolled one time. You've been kind of clearly, you didn't prepare yourself. So I'm going to recommend that you be dropped from training and go back to the, back to the fleet. And I was like, ah, that is not an option for me. That, right. that can't work because I barely got here. So I go to the next guy who's the final decision maker. And I'm like in his office crying, like bawling. I'm like, I can't go back to the fleet because it took the CNO to get me here. Like because of my, my, you know, this school that I went to, like, please let me stay. And he, he's like, go stand outside. I'll be back in a minute. Came back like three hours later. I'm oh. standing there outside on crutches. I can't, you know, and I'm just like, I watch my class come in and they're just all wet and sandy and they look miserable. And I'm like, all I can think is like, I want to be like them. I want to be like those guys that are absolutely miserable right now, but they're also kind of happy on the inside. And so eventually the, that guy comes back and he's like, you're still here, go check in and you'll be in the next class. And so I never healed up from that, from that injury all through first phase. Uh, so, so SEAL training is three phases long. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows what hell week is. Hell week is five and a half days of you're cold, you're wet, you're miserable, you're coated in sand and you don't sleep. They don't let you sleep the entire time, but you got to get to hell week. Hell week is one of these milestones in SEAL training. And it took me a long time, like, but you have to like pass certain, all the events you have to at right. pass at least once and meet the standard. I passed at least one run. I passed all the swims because my, my leg wouldn't prevent me from swimming. I don't like swimming, but I right. am good enough. I passed one four mile timed run. I passed all the O courses so I could go into hell week. And I went into hell week and I was stoked to be there. I was super happy because I'm like, this is what I've been dreaming about. And then you go through hell week and you make it. And then, then you have a little bit of depression because you're like, okay, I did that. Now what? But also somehow that knee that never healed up all the way through like pretty much two classes, right. it healed mm -hmm. up through hell week, but I've been hobbling so long. Now my other leg, I had stress fractures from, from hobbling. So oh, because I'd made it through hell week, now they rolled me to the next class. And then I was like, I can't, I got to finish this thing. This is, this right. is ridiculous. So I graduated uh, 13 months to the day of me checking in from SEAL training. And then from there, went on to airborne school where the, you learn how to fall down for three weeks. It's, you, know, <laughs> you jump out of airplanes, but what right. they do is they, I, no kidding. They teach you how to fall down for three weeks. Then from there, I learned how to drive a, a, a mini submarine, a SEAL delivery vehicle. Then I went on to the SEAL teams and then I spent, you know, the rest of my career going from, you know, in the SEAL teams, teaching sniper school, uh, deploying to combat, doing some headquarters stuff and, uh, and then coming back to, and then eventually retiring in Hawaii, retiring air quotes out of the SEAL delivery vehicle team here. And the reason that I went to that team is because I'd heard they were doing some pretty cool stuff and no one would tell me what it was. And I wanted to look behind the curtain. So, and Hawaii seems like a fine place to, to live. So I came out here, did some pretty cool stuff and, uh, and then eventually retired. That's, that's awesome. And, and 
thank you for sharing that with us because a lot of people don't understand like why the the seals is the toughest training in the world it's just like it's not only physical but mindset like you know of course i right. read david goggins book you know and he talks about how you know he hurt his knee and had to get set back like you a few times and you know and watching the guys on the ship that I got to to know when I was back in this on the Peleliu, right? They were jokers, but when it was time to be serious, oh my god, man! Like you just left, you left them alone. Like okay, right. because part of my job, right? Like when they would do their ops at night, right? Go out in their little zodiac. We we're the ones that lowered the the ship so they could go out the back end, right? At three o'clock yeah. in the morning, and it was like you better be quiet when they get back because they're going to be tired. Yeah. Right. So all this training you went through, you know, it's going to prepare you or it has prepared you for now for the companies you started. Right. You started get naked or what is the end of naked warrior recovery, naked warrior recovery. recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. And then your coaching business that you're getting ready to start and all this stuff. Right. So like I want the audience to know, like now tell them like personally, like some personal challenges that you have experienced now coming out of this service. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you did 26 years. You know, and I know a lot of friends of mine who have done like a lot of time when they came out and became a civilian, it was like hard. It was an adjustment for them to, you know, move into civilian life and especially with what you're doing. Right. So what are some of the personal challenges that you've had to overcome to help you get to where you're at today? Like, you know, you're a CEO of a company, you're speaking on stages. Like, I want the audience to understand that, you know, whatever you put your mind to, you can do it. It doesn't have to be Navy SEALs, but, you know, in life in general. Right. Yeah. So I will, I, I will tell you that I've 10 total deployments and seven of those have been to combat. And I will tell you, I've done a lot of missions and I will tell you that transitioning from the military to civilian life is the hardest military mission I've ever been on. And I'm still on it, still figuring it out, but you know, leaving retiring again, air quotes, that was, that was hard. And I, I kind of equate it to, if you've ever seen the movie, the Avengers where Thanos makes half the world's population go away. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like having dinner with like your family and then they're gone. Right. I lost, I lost my, my, I lost my family. I lost my mission. I lost my purpose. I lost uh, my team. I lost everything. That's the way I felt when I left the SEAL teams. And once you walk out the door of the military, you can't walk back in. Right. You're you're gone. It's over. Like you can still be friends, but it's different. It's not the same. And so I have, you know, from from 26 years, I've got, I've got some baggage. I've got baggage from, you know, my occupation. I also have baggage from maybe some toxic relationships that I've been a part of. And I got a lot of noise in my head, a lot of noise that I can't control. And so the way I would control it or try to control it is I would just drink myself to sleep at night. I would drink Mm -hmm. pretty much until I passed out. That's how I would like numb that noise, numb the pain that I had. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that wasn't good for me, but I had no other, like I couldn't, I couldn't process things any other way. And it was just, it was a kind of comfortable. Like the pain of alcohol was, was of consuming alcohol. It, it made my life comfortable for a little bit. Not right. You know, the next morning was terrible. And I'd heard about this, this molecule called CBD. And I was like, I should probably try that because I've heard that it's you know good for stress and anxiety and inflammation and chronic pain and things like that. And so I, I was in Virginia. I had 
lunch with an, a former teammate of mine. And I was like, I'm going to go see if I can find some CBD here in Virginia, because maybe what you have here is better than what we have in Hawaii. And he's like, if you want CBD, I've got a bottle at home, uh, brand new, I'll give you. Someone gave me, because uh, he's like an Instagram influencer. Okay. And so he gave, me a, he gave me a bottle and I tried it and I didn't notice anything right away. And uh, But what I noticed over time is, you know, water boils at 212 degrees. I was easily living at 210 degrees. Like I, it didn't take much for me to hit that boiling point. I was in the red zone 100% of the time. And over time, what I noticed, I went from like 210 to 205 to 200 to 195 to 190, maybe 185. So I got out of that red zone and I got more into an orange zone or maybe even a bright yellow zone. I don't think I made it to bright yellow yet. I think I was still just orange, but I also noticed that pains in my body were not quite as bad, still hurt, still lots of damage from, from my time in the SEAL teams, but it just didn't hurt quite as bad. And then I finished that bottle and then I didn't take any more. And then I started going back towards that boiling point, back to that 210, 212 degrees. Right. And so I tried a different, I was like, maybe it was, maybe it was the CBD. Maybe it was a placebo. I don't know. So I tried a different brand and I had similar results. And so it had such a positive impact on my life. I want to find, like, I want to be a part of this industry in some way. I was at a, at a business conference because I had this consulting business that was doing okay. It wasn't, it was, it was a grind. Holy moly. And I wasn't prepared for that kind <laughs> of a grind right? because I wanted to go surfing. I wanted to do other things to like, cause surfing was like therapy for me. It was like, mm -hmm. gave me a uh, peace and calm, but I needed to like, I needed to do this grind so I could eat and pay the bills and support the family. And so I was at this business conference and the same guy who gave me that bottle of CBD, he was a guest speaker. So I got to be one of his VIP guests. So I got to go do the whole thing and, and experience all of it. And I met a girl in the CBD industry and she was putting CBD into kinesiology tape. And, and so after this sort of Q and a thing where she, you know, said that, you know, I have a CBD company, but I can't market, I can't run ads on social media or anything. How do I do it? I followed her and I was like, Hey, you're the, you're the CBD girl. Right. And she was like, yeah, weirdo. Why don't you back off? And I was like, no, I'm, <laughs> I I'm, I'm just interested in the, in the industry. And I really, I wanted her to hire me and she was in no position to like, she's a very small company and she wasn't in no position to hire me, but she was like, well, do you want to do A to B, B to B or B to C? And I was like, I don't know what those letters mean. I want to do CBD. And she was like, okay, well, why don't you start your own CBD company? And I said, I don't know how to do that. And she leaned in and she said, you're a Navy SEAL, you can figure it out. And I was like, okay, fine. I will. Right. Okay. May I have my man card back? And so she gave me my man card back and, and, you know, and then she, you know, I, we had a couple phone calls and she kind of educated me on some CBD stuff. And, uh, and so I started looking into the industry. I found out it's a really dirty industry. And so my new mission at the time was to sell the highest quality CBD on the planet. And so that's what we do, but that's not our mission because CBD helped turn down the volume in my head so that I could start having a better self-talk, getting me away from that boiling point. Right. I started figuring out like, what's my, what's my real mission here? Like, yes, I want to like make money and, and sell product, you know, high quality products, but what's my real mission. Right. And so I looked at, at, you know, where I came from the veteran community. And I looked at some statistics and I found that you know, 22 veterans take their lives every single day. Every we've day. lost more veterans to combat than we have to 20 years. We've, we've lost more veterans to suicide than we have 20 years of sustained combat. Right. That's not okay. No. And then I looked a little bit deeper. My dad is a veteran and my dad took his life. So that 22 to zero is our mission. And that's our, 
our mission is to eliminate veteran suicide. So it's a very personal mission. And that's what my new mission is. I'm still, I'm still creating, still trying to build a new team, but my purpose is to is uh, eliminate veteran suicide. And the way that we're doing that CBD is a modality, but mindset is the other piece of it. And this is right. the kind of, this is where I, you know, I was in a pretty dark place, you know, when you're just relying on alcohol to like turn that noise down. So I had to figure out my mindset. So I looked back at like my career. I did a lot of introspective work and I figured that I realized that I'm like carrying my ego around and I'm not asking for help. I'm carrying my ego around and it's weighing me down. And so that's really what get naked is all about. It's about taking your ego off, setting it in the corner and becoming vulnerable so that you can start that healing. So you can share what's going on with you. And, you know, and, and I also have turned, you know, this into an acronym and naked stands for, it stands for the N is for never quit. The A is accept failure. The K is to kill mediocrity. The E is expose your fears. And the D is to do the work. And they all kind of run together in just like a that. way to live your life. And if you want to learn more about, you know, I can talk about each one of those, but I have a, a, a website where I share this. You just put your name and email in there and I'll email you a copy of this, this PDF where it really breaks down what naked stands for. I mean, that website is the, the number five, five sealsecrets.com. And you'll see a picture of me and you can, you can awesome. uh, email you a copy of that PDF. Yeah, I would love that because I know we could go this 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 interview specifically could go for hours and hours because I got question upon questions. But um, right, I, I can relate to that that noise in the head and that dark place. Right, I've been clean and sober coming up on 19 years this year in September, and I know you. what you're talking about. You know what I mean? And it, the only way I could quiet my brain was to drink, and, and when that didn't work, yep. I found other things. Right. I'm totally, well, most, except for caffeine, right? I do got my coffee once in a while, but uh, I'm in cigarette free for almost uh, 17 years. Like I said, I've been substance free for almost 19 and I've been vape free for over a year now coming up on two. And, you know, like you, I'm trying to just live a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, I've been a substance abuse counselor to let you know for quite a long time now. And early on, it was like, I was so like focused on one way. And I would tell my clients, if you don't do it this, this way, you're going to die and blah. Right. But I now know over the years, right, of learning how people work and you know, people that are, you know, people are different, right? That recovery comes in many forms and fashions, right? Whether it's like CBD, you know, to help quiet the brain, like you said, and, and I support that, right? And and being a fellow vet like you, like I'm on that mission too, to help end, you know, veteran suicide because 22, one is too much, as you know, right? Yep. That's just, yep. so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that you came on to share this story. Uh, and and share your what you do and stuff like that, right? Because people need to know we need to be more vocal. And you know, you see that what's going on in the world right now. Today, we just heard, you know, what's going on over there in Europe with uh, yep. Russia and the Ukraine and crazy stuff, right? What I would like to ask is, yeah, I would definitely, well, we'll talk after this, but be part of your mission because it's my mission. I have a fellow vet who was a special ops guy in the Air Force. You know, one of those guys that go rescue, you know, people in combat, mm -hmm. like the air medic or whatever. And that's his mission. He yep. just wrote a book. And I've been blessed to be like surrounded by guys like you and him and, and, and other vets that I know. And I've had the privilege of counseling vets, right, that have come through treatment and Right. And if I would have known about CBD a long time ago, I probably would have told some of them like, hey, check this stuff out. Right. It's not going to get you high. You know what? It's it's a brand new industry. It's brand new. <sighs> I mean, it was it was kind of on the on the DL in it's only been federally legal since September 20th of 2018 uh, when Congress passed the farm bill making hemp legal. Right. 
Okay. And then people got to understand that's different from like the marijuana, the street marijuana right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I um, could go in a whole, I could do a whole thing on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring you back and we'll do a whole thing on that. Cause I want, I want to help yeah. expose you to my community and to my audience. Right. Cause people have Thank to you. know, yeah. right. There's other forms of recovery, right? Whatever. And I want yep. to help people. My whole premise of this podcast is to help people find their fearless happiness, right? Whatever that looks like around the world, you know, that people can overcome their challenges, no matter how serious they are, they can overcome them and become successful like yourself. So much appreciated that you're here. Like you kind of touched on it, you know, and you go as, as deep as you want, but like, how did before finding CBT, like you said, being at that 212 degrees, right? Like how did that affect your relationships personally? personally like and and how did you overcome that was where i mean it actually started before i retired i was awesome. in that loop still while on active duty and i was fortunate enough i had a night of drinking at with some friends and things like that and and i don't i don't know what the trigger was that put me over the edge but i was very violent ish no one got hurt but i was certainly I remember being very angry. And then I also looked at my phone the next day and I was like, I was embarrassed at like how much I was slurring my words because I would just like apparently pull my phone out and was just like videoing everyone, videoing people, videoing conversations. And I was like, mm. oh, that's me. That's not okay. And then my wife was like, uh, yeah, you need help. And so I went into work and I was like, hey, I need help. Some aches and pains and I got some mental stuff going on and whatever. And then from there, I went to what's called, uh, it's called NICO. It's, not, it's called the National Intrepid Institute for Excellence. And it is a, a world-class traumatic brain injury facility in Fesna, Maryland, right across from Walter Reed Hospital. And so, you know, it was a four-week program. I went there. They, you know, they look at the at the, at the whole person from the, like inside the brain, outside the, the whole body. And, okay. you know, very different from regular military medicine. You go there and you are the priority. You and nothing else. Like they focus on you for an hour. It all like eight hours a day, this nice. to this, to this, to this, this. So that was, that was a step in the right direction. It didn't make me stop drinking, but it certainly helped me understand some other stuff that I was going on that had going on, helped me understand what other people were thinking about their relationships with me so that I could, you know, I could get the big picture. It didn't. And then I, you know, had one more, like one more year in the military and then I retired. So fortunately I got that help prior to retiring so I had a little bit of a head start. Had I not gotten that, who knows where I would be? Absolutely. And I didn't mean to chuckle when you said that violent-ish, you know what I mean? Angry. It just brought back some memories for me before I got sober. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. And, oh, and yeah. Not, no, I, I didn't can, have a cell phone. I mean, if I can't then, laugh about it, then right, right. But I would get calls the next day, you know, and you people would go, Hey, you remember what you did? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, and it no took clue. me yeah. a long time to finally get the help. And I actually had to get a nudge from a judge, right? And almost facing three years in prison to pull my head out and go, something's got to change, you know, like yourself, man. But that's, people don't realize, you know, like if it's okay to ask for help, you know what I mean? It's yep. it, vulnerability is actually a strength, right? And if you can ask for help, a whole world changes for you. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. So I like to ask my, my yeah, it's interesting. My, like people go ahead, people. And I, I made a, I made a post on, on, uh, on social media recently. And it was something like, it was something like that. It's like help asking for help. Like is, I don't remember the quote, but it was, it's like asking for help is shows that you're strong, not that you're weak or something like that. Like, right. it, like the amount of, the amount of, of, of courage that I have to summon just to ask for help is like way more than 
not asking for help. Right. And then not asking for help opens up a whole other can of worms. Like, you know, like you've experienced, right? right? So it's crazy, you know, but like our father's generation and the generation before them, right? Like asking for help was a no, no, right? You're supposed to suck it up and and you just power through it. You know what I mean? But it doesn't work. You know, I try to teach my son. It's okay to ask for help. And, you know, my children and my grandchildren, I'm going to teach them the same thing. But um, I like to ask my guests a couple of questions, you know, as we do this. And first one, you know, I, I wrote a book called Fearless Happiness, My Addiction, My Battles and My Recovery. I like to ask, what does fearless look like for you? And people are probably already listening. Like, what he's afraid of? He's a Navy SEAL, right? But what does fearless look like for you? And how does that show up? What does that mean to you? And how does that show up every day? Well, I, I, you know, I, I just, I just talked about it a little bit. It's like yeah. I'm, I've been terrified to show any kind of weakness of my entire life because I didn't want people to think I don't belong or I'm not good enough or whatever. And you know, that goes back to like the E of expose your fears. You know, I've I've been into in scenarios where fear turned to action, and that was a good thing. But the fear that you know kills most of us is this fear that lives in the back of our brains that we don't want to talk any talk to anyone about. It's like I consider this fear to be like vampire, like a vampire. Vampires they live in the darkness and they suck the life out of you. Those fears that live in the back of your brain. Those fears, those thoughts that come out and you start talking to yourself when you're alone in your car, like, and you're like in an argument for no reason with no one else there, just like with these noises in your head, those, those are the fears that you have to expose. And, you know, the way like, and you know, the analogy that I say, you know, fears like a vampire, it sucks the life out of you. The way you kill a vampire is you expose it to light. And the way that you kill those fears is you expose them to the world. And it can be, you know, maybe you were bullied as a kid. And you have low self-esteem, go take a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class because you're going to be forced to fight someone every day in class, but you're going to learn a skill set. You're going to learn it. You're going to learn how to defend yourself and you're going to have build more self-confidence, you know, do things that scare you, you know, that's, it's kind of a cliche, but there's so much truth to that. Do the things like get out there and, and expose that fear. You know, if you, if it's a, if it's a relationship, do something about the relationship or in the relationship and put yourself into a good place, you know, eliminate negative people out of your life because they're yeah. the people that are putting this crap in your brain. That's like, absolutely, yeah, that absolutely. sucks the life out of you They're They are those vampires. So don't yep. let them in your life. <laughs> and if they're in your life, get them out the end. Yep. I think the same way. That's awesome. Absolutely. Right. If you're going to have like, well, they say, right. Like if you're going to be, if you hang around five millionaires, right. You're going to be that sixth. But if you hang around like right. five negative Nancy's, right. Or whatever, you're going to be that sixth one because you're just going to follow right. The, that crowd that, right. So that's a great explanation. Thank you so much. And so in the second part of my title, I put happiness, I put a Y in in happy instead of the I, I did it for a reason. So what does happiness look like for you? And what does that mean to you? It's kind of right there in the same, in the same ballpark. It's, you know, when I left the SEAL teams, I lost my team. I lost my mission, my purpose. I'm building my new SEAL team now. It's not easy. I'm very selective about who uh, is in my circle, who is on my team, on my new SEAL team. I'm very, you know, but I want high performers in me giving, me teaching, me coaching, me helping other people become better, that makes me happy. So me surrounding myself by high performers who are lifting me up and I can help lift them up also, that makes me happy. So just having quality people with quality time, that's, I mean, that's happiness to me. Awesome. All right, William, I'd like to ask you too now, you know, as we get close to ending this, if people want to work with you or or purchase your products, how can they find you and how can they work with you? 
So I mentioned earlier about fivesealsecrets.com that you'll, you'll get the a PDF. You'll, you know, I'll, I'll email that to you, but if you were interested in CBD, uh, my, my website is nw-recovery.com. You can also write in nakedwarriorrecovery.com. But I thought maybe people, after I created that, I thought maybe people had an issue putting naked in their search engine. So I changed it to, I don't know why I just thought that, but so NW, you can write nakedwarriorrecovery.com and it will go to my website, but I just made the default site nw-recovery.com. You can find me on social media on Instagram is where I'm most active as Naked Warrior Recovery. See where else can you find me? You know, once you enter my world, I will just be, I'll just, I continue to put out content to help people. And if you want to work with me, go to fivesealsecrets.com. You're going to get direct emails from me and you can, you can reply and say, Hey, you know, let's talk about coaching or, or something like that. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So before we leave, before we part ways, what are, what last piece of advice would you like to give the audience or what something they could walk away with and go, man, that was, I needed that. I will say, if you want to make change in your life, you have to make bold adjustments. And what I mean by that is the analogy that I used is, you know, I was a sniper instructor and, you know, first I was a sniper, I became a sniper and then I became a sniper instructor. Uh, But when I was back at, you know, in the SEAL, like back in the platoon, I'm kind of the guy that's in charge of helping guys get their guns sighted back in. And you would think that SEALs were really good at sighting in their guns. They're not, only some are, but they're good at shooting, but like like, understanding the mechanics of like sighting the, the thing in, it's what would happen is guys would start, you know, they would shoot three rounds. They would see like a three round group and it's like far from the bullseye and they would make some, some small adjustments and they didn't seem like the impacts were moving very much. So when I would see guys doing that, I would walk over and I would make these just like ridiculous changes to their sights or to the scope that they had, like ridiculous, bold. <laughs> and that would move the impacts greatly. It might Oh, by, bypass the bullseye, but it would it would be significantly closer. Maybe it would be just on the other side of the bullseye. I wouldn't even count the clip. I would just go, and, and they would shoot and it'd be like, how did that happen? And then they could make those minor tweaks to get back on target, to get into the bullseye. So when I say make bold adjustments, if you want to make change in your life, you have to do something significantly different. It doesn't mean do something opposite or, or wrong. Right. You just have to do, eliminate people quit your job and start a company or get rid of the company and go do a job. Get a divorce if that's what is right for you. Those are bold adjustments. Those are big things. I'm not saying that they're right for everyone or wrong for everyone, but if you want to make impact and change in your life, you have to make those bold adjustments. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for that. Wow. This has been a great time. I wish we could keep going and going. I appreciate you taking the time and become and coming on and being a guest. So thank you, William, yes, sir. For, for being here today. And I hope you got something, audience, because this man's amazing. So we will see you next time, everybody. 